0: Welcome to Truth Jihad audio video. I'm Kevin Barrett, bringing you all sorts of interesting folks from all over the world, analyzing what's really going on and uh, calling it the way they see it, even if it isn't the way the mainstream sees it, or even if it isn't the way the mainstream lets anybody say they see it. Uh, We have a lot of de-platform people are de-platforming people for more and more things. You can't even question any. American presidential election in history anymore. You get knocked off of YouTube. So this may not be on YouTube. I'm kind of migrating over to alternative platforms, but I've got guests now who uh, who question a lot of orthodoxies too. Hopefully nothing that will get us uh, droned or uh, thrown into a cell with Julian Assange or anything like that. So, hey, welcome Ellen Brown and Daniel Estelin, two of my heroes. Hey, how are you?
1: Thanks, Kevin. Great to talk to you.
2: Hey, wonderful to be back. Uh, I, I can't remember the last time you and I talked. I think it was like a year. Was it before COVID or after? It's like you know the the. It was, the, the, the it was early COVID.
1: 2020, I know, because I listened. I, I,
2: can't rem- yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. It was I, the I, early I, COVID era. Right.
0: Sort of, okay. sort of like the there's the Cretaceous and the Jurassic and the whatever else. Well, this was the early <laughs> COVID era. <area>. So, <laughs> so now I'm I'm starting to think you were onto something with all of your seemingly very paranoid analyses about that, and Ellen is too. Uh, maybe we should recap. Well, Ellen, first tell us why you really enjoyed uh, Daniel's interview and wanted to bring him back.
1: Well, I particularly like his insights on what's going on in Europe. I'm highly suspicious myself of what's going on. I mean, of course, my thing is central banking or banking in general, public banking, uh, finances, uh, monetary theory. But it does look to me like the World Economic Forum and the ECB are, it, they're following the the uh, EU playbook of globalizing or centralizing the financial power without democratic power or, you know, without we the people having any say in it. So it's it's um, financial authority without uh, political or democratic authority. And it looks to me like they're trying to suck the whole world into that. So I was just really interested in Daniel's insights on what was going on politically over there.
0: <laughs> well, Daniel, you wouldn't really think that the financial elites are scheming a coup d'etat to overthrow what little democracy we have left in the world now, would you?
2: <laughs> um, you know, I never really believed in democracy. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a silly kind of a concept. You're going back to Aristotle, you go back to Plato, they said the same thing. If you kind of look at what's happening, we are coming yeah, I talked about this before. I can't remember if you and I discussed it back in, well, you know, pre-COVID days. But uh, what we're seeing is we're seeing a change of paradigm um, in a sense that uh, we've gone from industrial economy, which is fourth technological paradigm, to post-industrial economy, which is, you know, white collar, playing with numbers on a computer, is not producing anything concrete. And now we're moving into a new world of trans-industrial economy, uh, which is the sixth technological paradigm. And one of the things uh, about this new world is, is, um, and and Ellen and I talked about this in our interview for my Daniel Ashwin TV channel last week, is uh, you're coming to the point where you have no language to define what's happening. Because again, for example, if you're talking about uh, the post-industrial world, you're talking about globalization, but what is globalization? It's a free movement of people, of products, of finance, of services. And that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, borderless world is dead. And what we had before, Kevin, it's, it's not ever coming back. And a lot of people think that this thing, you know, if we just stay, you remember the beginning of, of COVID, you just stay home for a couple of weeks, let's lock you in, everything's gonna be fine. And then it's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And what's, what's happening right now, although people think that, well, just a little, you know, just a little extra effort, you know, for Christmas and in January, oh, we're gonna be fine. The world that ended in January, 2020 is not coming back. It's not coming back in two months. It's not coming back in four months. It's not coming back ever. We're talking about a global collapse and a collapse means loss of wealth, loss of property, money, stocks, bonds, any kinds of of investments, because this is a systemic collapse. It's not a collapse of one branch of the economy. And again, for the first time in centuries, like literally, we have no model and no image of the future. So again, if you kind of look at what's happening right now, uh, uh, something similar has only happened twice over the last 2000 years. The first time between the fourth and the sixth centuries when the old Roman empire collapsed and was replaced by feudalism. And the second time between uh, the 16th and the 17th centuries when feudalism collapsed and it was replaced by capitalism. And now we are seeing the end of Bretton Woods economic model because again, capitalism is finite and needs perpetual expansion. And in the capitalist world, the cost of innovation is included in the cost of the product. In other words, today's consumers are paying for the innovation in the future. So you buy a stupid iPhone, okay? You're paying for now what they invent in the future. And for this reason, capitalism needs expansion of the markets. And the markets are finite. Therefore, globalization is dead because we've reached the limits of growth within this economic model. And this model will be replaced by something else. But the problem with the something else, we don't have the language, Kevin, to explain economic collapse. And that's very easy to, you know, to, to show you, you know, with, with fingers. If you go back to the 2008, 2009 collapse, since then, over the past 13 years, I don't know how many uh, Nobel uh, uh, economists, have, uh, because in certain years there were two or three winners, but over these last 13 years, I think 16 or 17 economists who won the Nobel Prize for, for the economics none of them have been able to explain the theory of crisis. They have no idea what's going on. And if you kind of look at the economy itself, and if you take out of the equation, and I hope Ellen agrees with me, if you take out of the equation, all the money that they've printed over the past 40 years, the actual growth, physical growth, or growth of the physical economy in America is 0%. But not only in America, it's 0% globally. And if you look at the numbers, 174 countries, if I'm not mistaken, have shown negative growth over the past 12 months. So that's the entire world. We're talking about limits to growth. And so if the West has lived at the expense of the Soviet Union, when they conquered the Soviet space in 1991, up until 2008 crisis. With 2008 crisis, what they call the subprime Lehman Brothers collapse, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter. It wasn't that. It was the initial stage of today's systemic collapse. And that collapse has no solution other than you know, wash your hands and start again. The only way you can do this is what's called force mayor. And that could be global thermonuclear war. It could be, mm, you know, asteroid. It could be Godzilla uh, appearing somewhere in the Pacific. Or it could be, you know, that didn't work and that didn't work. They tried global- It could
0: be COVID uh, going on forever.
2: that could be COVID, exactly. And that's exactly it.
0: Yeah, so so in terms of the deeper causes of this, uh, I had Michael Hudson on the show recently, and he thinks that the Bretton Woods U.S. dollar arrangement kind of had this built-in absurdity to it, and, and so that is is doomed, and well, that's a big the part Woods
2: of it. Exactly, the Bretton Woods model and the whole concept of what it was based on is dead.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he, he, he says the uh, you know, the way the dollar became a kind of a debtor hegemonic currency is unprecedented. It makes no sense. There's there's no reason why uh, going deeper and deeper into debt should give you financial hegemony. And yet the U.S. has conned the world into going along with that, but it won't be able to forever. And in fact, Mm -hmm. it's starting to lose that now. So that's one cause. Another cause that's been brought up is peak oil. Some say that basically conventional oil production peaked almost two decades ago and all the rest is just kind of this temporary uh, stuff, this this, uh, non-conventional energy that is actually just about as energy intensive to get out as what you, is what you profit by it?
2: Well, if you're talking about energy flux density, again, one yeah. of the reasons you see all these people, Jeff Bezos, what's his name, uh, <coughs> Branson, Musk, and I can't remember who else, you know, is doing their space thing. It has nothing to people saying, ah, it's just a billionaire, and, you know. Uh, uh, no, it's, it's, it's not that the fact that uh, um, these people just felt like going into space for 12 minutes. Space is the ultimate frontier. OK, we need to go into space to improve the lives of people. It's energy talking about energy flux density. And so the only way we can actually build out if you can't build it on the planet Earth because we reach the limits within a model. OK, and you can tell me it's not really true because you have Africa, you have most of India that lives on a dollar a day you have most of China that lives on a dollar a day. That's true. But for these places, continents, countries to become consumers, uh, uh, you need to uh, and, and, and turn them into consumers. You need to uh, build out infrastructure. There's no infrastructure in Africa, which means that you know if you were to do that, it's going to take you about three generations, about seventy years. And if you can't build out, then the other you know the, the flip side of the coin is to destroy. And so this whole thing about space exploration, I mean, on the moon you have helium three, which is an isotope. It's the cleanest, the best, and you know the longest-lasting energy source in, in, in maybe in the universe. We don't have it on Earth because we have atmosphere here. And then we're talking about the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the effect of radiation uh, uh, from the sun deposited on, on, on the surface of, 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 uh, of the moon and other planets as well. And so that's the easiest way for us to get to the moon and, and bring it back to Earth and also use that uh, helium-3 to build out to Mars. But that's, again, that's a three-generation project. So, yes, you could talk about uh, uh, oil, but uh, uh, short-term, really, really short-term. But the global reset, again, it, it's, we're talking about the end of a model, we're talking about a civilizational collapse. And uh, um, um, economic is just one of them. So we've gone from nation states, uh, which we can call global 1.0 to, you know, to, to something totally different to, you know, regionalization of global economies, which means that the countries are going to be broken up into regions. And Brexit, for example, and, 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 uh, and BRICS were too intense to regionalize the economies. And then, you know, we're seeing it right now, America could easily break up the United States into several countries. And I talked about this back in 2014, and people said, oh, this guy's crazy. Yeah, what's what yeah. I
0: said about the people who said the Soviet Union was gonna break up too. They, everybody well, thought they the were crazy. Is,
2: well, the thing is, is that again, uh, the Soviet, the only way you can destroy a country like the Soviet Union, is if you can destroy it from within, mm-hmm. because you cannot destroy this country from without, obviously. Uh, just the same as the United States. I mean, you can't destroy this country, you know, a foreign element of an army. It could only be dismantled from within. And this is actually what's being done right now. And Ellen and I talked about this, you know, how, again, you're talking about the transnational bankers who are not American. I mean, what's his name? David Rockefeller. He may have an American, he's dead, but, you know, others like him. Soros, he may have an American passport, he's not American. These are globalists, global banking financiers. And so they don't need the United States as a nation state, as a republic. Okay, they need the United States as, 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 as a place where they can dismantle the rest of the world, and a place to be as global financiers. And one of the things that Putin and, and, uh, um, and Biden talked about at, uh, during their uh, last week's meeting is, is precisely that, how to divide the world in, into regional areas.
0: Mm -hmm. And that leads to the question uh, of of this decline of nation states in a context of a geopolitical rivalry between the US and China. And that Michael Hudson analysis and other analyses suggest that the US model for the creation of money is one of the reasons why growth has stopped in the dollar sphere. And that's why it's being challenged uh, by China primarily. Uh, which creates public, which has public banking that allows them to directly create infrastructure right off debt. This is Ellen's area of specialization. So Ellen, uh, do you you agree that the high growth out of China is uh, partly due to their public banking model Uh, that's allowed them to build so much infrastructure and now they're starting to export their infrastructure. And Daniel was saying that there's no more growth because there's no more infrastructure. Well, China has this model that allows them to at least do better with infrastructure than the West does. Uh, And is is that leading us into a geopolitical clash or are these elites uh, as much at home running China as they are running the West?
1: Well, I totally agree that China is liable to be the next reserve currency. It looks like they're (laughs) aiming for that and it seems to me, just from what I mean, it's not my area, but it seems to me that there's plenty, there's always been plenty of room for growth if we, uh, because as Abraham Lincoln said, I think that humans are the only species that actually add to, you know, other species can build things and can work, but, or and use tools and so forth. But humans are the only animal that actually uh, create and add and, you know, expand and explore and add to what what they've created. So I don't I mean, I'm always hopeful that there are more inventions yet to be discovered like free energy. And I've seen that water could be a good energy. I mean, I saw some energy or some engine that ran on water but with what Daniel was saying uh, in the summer in 2019 at the Jackson Hole meeting of central bankers in, August, I think, of 2019 or September, August. Um, Mark Carney was saying that we need a new, um, a new Bretton Woods moment, you know, we need to redo the financial system and we need somebody other than the US, obviously, as a reserve currency. I mean, that's their theory. And that was when they presented the going direct good uh, plan, this was uh, for BlackRock people, three of them were former central bankers. That said, that the central banks were out of tools, you know, just raising interest rates wouldn't do it. And obviously, it's going to be a disaster if they raise interest rates right now. Um, but they probably have to. But anyway, that the tools they had were limited, and that therefore the central bankers should also have fiscal, <laughs> fiscal be, be in control of fiscal policy. And um, to his credit, Jerome Powell. When Christine Lagarde, in this a year ago, I guess, or the spring of this year, uh, tried to get all the said the central bankers have to make their banks um, cut off and not make loans to, for to oil and coal, you know, to uh, renew, to only make loans for renewable energy and. Uh, Jerome Powell said that he he didn't think that was their field that that was fiscal policy and that they're limited to monetary policy and they're very protective of their independence and they so that was good and you know I saw that um, there are 15 states that are threatening to pull their money out of Wall Street banks because these are the these are the oil and gas states and they said um, that it's their political duty, to do what supports their local economy, and so they can't mandate something that will crush the local economy. Um, in when the, I think he, well in the beginning of 2020, when this all first hit uh, Christiana <laughs> that the IMF head uh, with a funny name, do you know who I mean? Um, From Bulgaria. Sorry.
2: The lady from Bulgaria.
1: Okay. Uh, she she said that, we, we call it the great lockdown, that it's the beginning of the great transformation and that they had purposely shut down all the businesses everywhere, like shut down business so they could start over with a new model. And that's what they've always, obviously done. So they used COVID as an excuse to shut down all the businesses, but now, the businesses supposedly are opening back up because a lot of people are vaccinated, etc. supposedly the heat's off. So they, they need something else. So now they're using the global warming, um, you know, the global catastrophe supposedly, which will be the leverage. So now, I mean, she's, they said that recently that the IMF or I think it was um, Klaus Schwab said that the IMF and the, World Economic, or the, sorry, the IMF and the World Bank need to be re-envisioned, their role needs to be re-envisioned. So in other words, there'll be a, a tool instead of using debt to crush emerging markets and make them do, give up, you know, privatize and give up the resources, et cetera, um, that, that now they will use the the global the alleged global warming crisis. I mean, it's not warming anymore, so I guess they've rephrased it, but
2: now we're going into a global cooling. When it's, when it's cooling. in southern Russia in August, no, it's not global warming, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the, what's really got me alarmed right now is this, you know, there's this pipeline running through five states where they're capturing carbon dioxide, turning it into liquid, piping it all the way through Iowa. I guess all the Iowa farmers are objecting and holding hearings on it, It, using eminent domain to take thousands of acres of uh, farmland out of of production to pipe carbon dioxide up to North Dakota where it's buried like like nuclear waste. I saw Mike Adams say it sounded like the movie Oblivion where um, where some extraterrestrial race, I guess, sucked all the water off the Earth, and then Tom Cruise was the hero. You know, he had to go. They had to go in. And, so they suck. If they suck all the carbon dioxide out, um, and p- put it underground, and then they go underground. You know, while this Earth goes through this devastation, I suppose another ice age where all the all the life is killed and then they could just let the carbon dioxide out again and in short order repopulate the thing and put the i mean we need that they they call it the um i mean we need that the carbon dioxide is is what keeps plants alive and it's what keeps the planet warm enough that we can live here we, we need that those things that the, the whole idea that carbon dioxide is the culprit here is insane it's such a very small part of the atmosphere at all anyway so i find that very We can probably
0: get deplatformed for saying that because that makes us uh climate change deniers oh sorry <laughs> daniel yeah, did you, do you yeah. agree with that analysis
2: I, I don't know i don't know most likely i i mean i don't know the details i wasn't aware of the of the uh um, of the pipeline through the five states, but it makes perfect sense. I, what I wanted to uh, go back just for a second, circle back to what uh, Hudson said about China. The problem, Kevin, in the West is that, uh, and this is a generalized problem, is that in the West, every Western economist, polit- politician, uh, political scientist, they look at China from the perspective of the West. And China is a, is a totally different nation. China has absolutely nothing to do with the West. It is not a democracy. It has never been a democracy. It's, 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 uh, uh, um, it's, it's something um, totally different. So what I want to do is I want to explain uh, 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 what exactly China, because China is, is in a very complicated situation. In fact, the country could easily break up into five or six different countries over the next seven years. Let me explain this because nobody in the West talks about this and nobody in the United States talks about this because they look at it from the you know, perspective of American democracy. So for the problem is that for many years, uh, speaking of, of China's economy, China has been actively stimulating domestic consumption. In other words, standard of living of its population through emission programs. Okay, and China does this through the development of its infrastructure, you mentioned infrastructure projects. And such projects cannot but pose a threat to high inflation and to overcome it, You need to take certain proactive steps, for example, uh, to combat inflation. China used the withdrawal of capital in the form of dollars, which were formed due to the enormous surplus in the foreign trade balance, mainly due to the trade with the United States, as we all know. Trump talked about this, complained about this all the time. But at the same time, China was still actively increasing its presence in other markets and was actually striving for the European Union market, the new Silk Road, as they call it. The trouble is that on the one hand, the United States is closing its markets to China's products and on the other hand, the money will not be available in Western Europe either because they have no money, they're broke. And again, if we go back to the period of you know Xi Jinping and Trump, despite house of protest, Xi Jinping and Trump, they in fact were working together given that the bread and wood system itself is on its deathbed and the beneficiaries of the bread and wood system are sworn enemies of both Trump Xi Jinping, as well as Putin, we're talking about banking, bankers, financiers. And so Xi Jinping is well aware that the standard of living of the Chinese population will fall. Why? Because incentives will have to be reduced and foreign markets will collapse in the case of the United States pretty quickly. Yes, he has a political excuse, national interest, trade war with the United States. And yes, he can get the support of the population, especially if it takes back Taiwan, which has always been China's. But still, he cannot reduce the standard of living the population too quickly, especially in the new China, because right now, Xi Jinping has what's known as the mandate of the heavens. It has nothing to do with politics, okay? It has nothing to do with anything that the people understand in the West. So what does this mean? This means that you need to look for, um, for other mechanisms to support emission programs. And here comes the wonderful experience of the United States which witnessed extraordinary economic growth between 1947 and 1971 due to the expansion of the use of the US dollar. Because the United States was able to print money, enough money, okay, without causing an inflation, given that the sphere of the dollar turnover was, was continually expanding, but, you know, through the, I don't care what you want to call it, bringing democracy to the four corners of the world, be it dictatorship, be it, uh, you know, color revolution, whatever. And so there is no reason for China not to use this very same experience for its benefit. Moreover, no short-term alternatives are available. And the picture is easy, and it's also win-win and transparent. So the Chinese zone, the Rambi zone, Southeast Asia, has not yet been formed, but as soon as that happens soon, the Rambi will have a tremendous opportunity to push the dollar out. Earlier, I talked about the regionalization of the economies, which today, needless to say, dollar is the world reserve currency. And so for the next 20 years, approximately till about 2045. China will be able to simply print the yuan, which will then be taken out uh, outside China's economy, but not in the form of dollars as it is now, but as yuan itself. And this will allow China to solve, uh, at the expense of these issues of money, the problem of stimulating the falling private demand at home. Because again, Uh, Yes, there's a lot of wealthy people in China, maybe a hundred and some million people, but there's over a billion people that survive on a dollar a day. And there's 300 million people who are totally illiterate. Okay, and so in this in this sense, uh, um, I don't there's no other options for China. More precisely, all the other options will lead to quick collapse of the economy, because today the scale of internal stimulation of the Chinese economy roughly corresponds to a similar uh, stimulation of demand in the United States. It's about $2 trillion in in the dollar equivalent per year. The question is, why are these $2 trillion not causing inflation? And the reason is simple. Stimulating domestic demand goes through a surplus in foreign trade of about $500 billion of international trade surplus per year multiplied by a credit multiplier of about five, which gives you $2 trillion in the dollar equivalent of domestic demand, and such an issue does not produce high inflation says excess money is converted into dollars and withdrawn from the country. And so this system used to give the balance to reserves. Now the, the the withdrawal sometimes starts to exceed the income, but what you can somehow balance it out. So for China, this decrease in the surplus in trade with the United States, it's not just a big problem. It's a calamitous problem. It's an economic disaster because of the surplus in foreign trade uh, disbalance. China needs to either or reduce the emission stimulation of the domestic economy. And this is only, uh, is not only a sharp decrease in the growth rate, but also conflicts with the regions because the investment occurs through the regional authorities and you cannot not have the support of the regional authorities because that's how the revolution start, okay? Or the alternative, you put up with a sharp increase in inflation. And both of these factors, Kevin, in the conditions of um, intensification of intra-elite conflict in China, which we're seeing right now, are totally unacceptable. Yes, the Chinese are ready as a nation to tighten the proverbial belts, but in the absence of the answer to the question, why should we do this? And this is precisely Xi Jinping's problem. He does not have a conceptual description of the future uh, uh, for for, for, for the entire world. And thus doesn't have a good answer to give to these people. And taking into account the, the specific thinking of the Chinese, Uh, Xi's position is weakening as the crisis deepens. And at the same time, there's a very specific time period, okay? We're talking about between now and and, the 2022 elections when this conflict must inevitably be resolved. And so you have Trump, which is again, you know, coming back strong. You have Biden, which has completely given up on, on the model that they've pushed through in the elections. And so you have Trump, you have Xi Jinping, you have Putin, and they all have the same enemy. And these enemies are liberal banking financiers. In other words, uh, if you look at you know Trump's uh, or doesn't matter, we talk about Biden, they both have cognitive dissonance. They de- de- to defeat the internal enemy. In other words, the liberal banking financiers, which was Trump was trying to do. Okay, and compromises are impossible here. It's one or the other. He was forced to fight his strategic ally against his enemy. Okay, and so uh, what's the solution? Well, they need to develop an alternative mechanism that takes into account the interest of the United States in the framework of an alternative model, a model not liberal banking financiers, but another model. And that's why, that's why Trump, Xi Jinping, and Putin were working together with all of its internal contradictions. And that's something that nobody in the West talks about. Why? Because the West, it's duality. It's you're with us or against us. It's black, white, red, black, good, bad. But in China, it's not two, it's three, okay? It's always interests of three, me, my enemy, and my allies. And that's the you know fundamental difference in understanding the philosophical you know, uh, concepts or constructs of the West and of the East.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. Hey, it- yeah, go ahead, Alan. Yeah.
2: Uh, you said something about you couldn't go through the
1: regional authorities because that's what caused the revolution or something did I hear that right but could you say what you, you meant know, for that?
2: you need to support again you need to have a strong center for the country to work but the revolution starts on the extremes so if you don't have the money you know to divide and provide for the you know for the for the regional authorities then the regional authorities are going to unite against you against the center okay and that's something that the british empire understood very well the tributaries, which is why it's so very important you know, to have the money and to feed the regional authorities in China to make sure that they're happy with how the central government is running the country.
1: Well, yeah, well, I've definitely seen that and can envision that through the Belt and Road um, Initiative that China is everywhere and they could use, use their central bank digital currency, which they have already set up, and just tell their contractors in all these countries where they are doing all this infrastructure, we're going to pay you in yuan, you know, in digital yuan. And in that way, they could become the global reserve currency. I Supposedly, it's going to take a long I think time. it's probably going to be the
2: so. reserve currency more than the global. And so what we're seeing right now, again, so you're, you're seeing regionalization of global economies. And the problem for the Chinese is they don't have the money. The Belt and Road Initiative is just a surreptitious way of expanding Chinese territorial influence. But we they could say, just uh,
1: issue Central, central Bank uh, yuan, right? Digital yuan. They can create the money because they have.
2: <laughs> the, the, problem, the problem, another problem for the Chinese, is they don't have a language to explain a global model. So they can never be a global power. There can only be a regional power because not, first of all, you know, for example, in the, in the, in the, in the age of communism, the fight between communism, the Soviet Union and the United States, you had two economic models, which were based on two totally different principles. The West was based on private property, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the Soviet Union was based on common good. Okay. And so these two models coexisted. The United States and company had 60% of the market. Soviet Union and satellites had 40% of the market. Okay, because it was acceptable to 40 percent of the global population, that model. But today you don't have that. The Chinese were never a global model. They can only whatever Chinese do, it only applies to China. And in fact, China, you know, you, you, you can be either their slave or their pet. You can never be a friend. They don't have friends. Okay, and so I'm not sure if it's better to be Chinese slave or Chinese pet. And so in this sense, whatever China wants to do, it only applies regionally to China. And whatever expansion they do, it could never be applied to, you know, on, on a global scale because their model only works for one country, China. And but, so- but
0: Ellen's pointed out that public banking is such a key element. Uh, I don't know if the, it hasn't become an ideology because enough people don't know about it enough, but can't the Chinese say we have this model that this public banking model that allows us to build up infrastructure and we wanna help everybody else do that too. And we're, there's a different model from the Western usury bankers who limit their growth by skimming it off uh, in the form of, of interest on privately created money.
2: Well, that's that's the idea. That's the idea because you know last week we talked about this in, in my uh, interview with Helen, we talked about the monetary system again, again, you know versus credit system. That's absolutely true. The problem is that China is not a homogenous country, just like the United States is not a homogenous country. When I mean, you tell me the United States is one country, it's not. How many groups are fighting each other in the United States? So in this sense, you're seeing the same thing in China, okay? In a sense that you have different groups because China is, on the one hand, you have the communists, which, you know, the Maoists. On the other hand, you're nationalists, which is Xi Jinping. And then you have the liberal banking financiers. And so these three groups are fighting each other. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to see, for example, if you go back to, you know, to Trump's period, Trump wanted to be a friend with Xi Jinping because, again, they have common interests because she had liberal old members, the clans, united around Chi Ho tao you know, uh, we're also uh, and, uh, we're friends of the transnational bankers and enemies of both Xi Jinping and Trump, okay? But the problem is that China's development model, if you go back to the 1970s, which is Sen. Xi Jinping, Carter's, you know, Sen. Xi Jinping, Carter's secret agreement, okay, was adopted as part of a conspiracy with the U.S. leadership, which at the time was controlled by the financiers. So you could never apply that model, which Ellen describes, because China is not a country. It's, it's a group of clans working together against each other and simultaneously you know together. So until these differences, and you could say the same thing about Russia, I mean Putin is one thing, the government is another. Putin controls the, uh, the military apparatus, the intelligence apparatus, and the government controls everything else, which is one of the reasons why the lady who runs Russia's central bank, Nabi Ulina is, is working, has been working, you know, over the past decade against Russia's interests. So you think of power. Nabiuli is the director of Russia's central bank. Okay, she's, she, you know, since she's been the, the head of the central bank, we're talking about Russia's economy since the last trimester of 2012 has been going extremely down. We're talking about almost 10 years of continuous down spiral. And Putin can't fire her because if he did, and she works directly for International Monetary Fund. She does not work for Russia. Like in the Stalin days, you know, we'd just shoot her. Again, okay, put somebody else in her place who would be, a, you know, a, a communist or, or nationalist or patriot. But if Putin were to do that and were to replace her with somebody who was a, is a patriot, International Monetary Fund would immediately make, you know, a, a, a press release saying that the new director of Russia central bank is an incompetent boob, which means that the Russia's credit rating will go down to junk. And because but but, but problems, isn't
0: this why the uh, Eurasian access, uh, Russia, China, Iran, and so on, has every uh, motivation to change that situation?
2: The problem is until you change the economic model globally, okay, Putin can't get rid of the director of Russia's central bank because she works for the International Monetary Fund. If he did, I repeat, International Monetary Fund would emit a report, and that report would say, that you know, the 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 Russia's credit rating is gonna go down to junk because the new person in charge of central bank doesn't know what that person is doing. Right. So obviously and Russia no and China private, yeah. because no private corporation, pretty much, and because no private corporation can have a higher credit rating than a national sovereign government, okay, Russia's economy will dismantled in 24 hours. And Putin can't do anything about it. Putin can build up, I mean Russia, we can build up build up our nuclear arsenal, our technological arsenal, our armed forces. Absolutely, we've done that but it can't change the financial until global financial, liberal banking financiers are totally defeated. And that's why Trump and Putin and Xi Jinping mm-hmm. were part of the same team with all of its incongruencies and inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. They were working towards against the same enemy globally, which is the global banking financiers.
0: That, that's an interesting analysis. And I, I would actually agree with uh, with those three guys, uh, perhaps uh, about that them being the, uh, the enemy. Well, you and know, we yeah, only have a couple that's minutes that's left, because I, I just got a message from Zoom that they've changed their terms uh so we have uh we have a minute and a half left uh, uh ellen do you have any very uh, terse and succinct final thoughts
2: <laughs> i have, no i'll throw it to daniel daniel
0: <laughs> give us yours
2: <laughs> no i i think uh, i think it's very important that you know that that we have we, we keep the conversation going because there's a lot of people like ellen does amazing work uh and she's known not only in the united states people know who she is in canada and people bankers know who she is in Europe. When she was on my show on Russia Today, eight years ago, people from all you know walks of life, Switzerland and Germany and France are saying, I know who she is. So there's a lot of interest in looking for an alternative to the global financial system. It's just a question of finding that alternative, you know, and, and being able to describe it in words because we have no language right now. By language, I don't mean English, Spanish, French, or Russian or, or Chinese. The language of economics to describe this model globally and so the idea is apply to what Ellen is doing, but globally adapted to global processes, this global transformation and create something new because unless we do, you know, the, this, this vacuum is gonna be filled with extreme violence and we're seeing it right now.
0: Yeah, we better build that language. <laughs> and, that, and, and Ellen's a great uh, public face of the We have ten, about 10 seconds. So I'm gonna have to cut you guys off before uh, Zoom does. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much, uh, Ellen Brown. And Daniel Estelin, keep up the it's fantastic great. work. Let's uh let's invent a new language and take it to these international bankers and come up with something better.
2: All right, thank you.
0: Okay, take, take care. care. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Bye.